The content of this podcast, Swingin' It, is for informational and entertainment purposes only. The content discussed is not intended for investment advice nor a recommendation. Investing in any stock, security, bond, ETF, option contracts, or futures has substantial risk of loss. Chris McBride and John Burrell are not certified financial or investment advisors, nor are they registered brokers. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that neither Chris McBride or John Burrell will be held responsible for any loss that you may occur from acting on the topic or discussion in this podcast. These topics are not meant for recommendation. Chris McBride and John Burrell may hold positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Swingers, and welcome to another edition of the Just Swing It podcast. We got a special episode for you guys today. We are live on the Pivotal Trading YouTube channel. So if you're listening to this on Monday, well, you missed a pretty good show. Um, remember that for next time we have guests, we always go live on the YouTube channel and we take questions for it from anyone who is watching. But we got a special guest tonight. His name is Brandon Richard Austin of Ricky Do Finance. And, um, you know, Brandon, it, He's a younger guy, but um, he, he's real big into investing, and but mainly he's into um, helping people, you know, take control of their finances. He's huge on personal financing, budgeting, um, you know, career advice, that sort of thing. And um, he's coming on the show tonight to, um, you know, share some of his knowledge um, with us as well as with you guys. And um, if my if anyone is watching and my sound is poor, um, be sure to let us know. Um, as you can tell, I'm in a, a hotel, not my normal office where I have the microphone and that sort of thing. And that's because I'm still out of town for work. So, you know, it is what it is, but let us know and we'll see if we can do anything to fix it. Um, but before we bring him in, I'm also joined by um, John Morrell as normal. The new, the new bullish John Morrell. Yeah. <laughs> So a little yeah. bit different take. Uh, yeah, yeah usually resolution. He just started a couple of weeks early. He wanted to get a jump on it. Yeah, usually I'm very bearish, and I had recently told Chris that I'm moving to bullish for a few months. We'll see how long it lasts. But um, he got you know, long term, long term, still bearish. But he 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 got his his dick kicked in and now he's one of the you know make some of that up <laughs> no 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 i'm doing good <laughs> yeah he's actually doing all right not on ung but no 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 i would be up a lot more if it wasn't for ung most of my trades that i posted in our discord was really good trades but of course out of all of them one of them was most likely to be a loser so yeah i actually got an ung on friday at like I couldn't think of a better price. If it goes down, it is what it is, but I'm I'm at a good spot and I'm I think I'm good where I'm at. But um yeah, with that we'll get right to the show if John wants to bring him in. Okay, here we go. (laughs) 
we ended up being a couple minutes late, but uh, I sent him a message, so hopefully he will see that there. No, I'm sure it's fine. Um, yeah, but this should be a pretty good interview. Like I said, if you have questions, be sure to put them in the comments um, there on the YouTube channel. John will try to, um, you know, keep an eye on some of those and if we get any and, and we'll make sure they get answered um, here live on the show. Brandon, what's going on? You guys hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. It was on mute cool. there for a second. How's it yeah, going? It's, it's good. It's good. How about you guys? Good. Doing all right. Um, I'm down here in Florida. I had to come down here for a couple of weeks for work, which is um. So if there's any problem again with with my sound, let me know. We'll try to fix it. Normally, when I'm home, we have like the microphone set up and all sorts of stuff, but don't have that luxury, you know, down here in Florida. The weather that. is a lot nicer here though, so it's I'm sure probably it's cold. Oh, it's probably much nicer than where I am in Toronto. Toronto is like we got some snow around. It's like, uh, yeah, it's it's freezing. It's <laughs> this time of year is a bit iffy in Canada for sure. Yeah, I'm from Virginia, and I think they had a pretty cold week. It snowed a little bit, but you know, down here in Florida, I went to the beach today. It was about 85. <laughs> um, oh man. Before we get started, I will let you know that I probably have to do the most unprofessional thing we've ever done on this show at about 7.40, and that's because I'm down here in Florida. Um, I've been trying to wash my clothes. They got two washers here, and it's taken like three hours because you go in, someone's in there, and then, you know, they put them in the dryer. They're not dry, so they put add more time. So I've done been back and forth about 10 times. Finally got them <laughs> in the dryer, and they should be done at about 7.40. So John will have to keep everyone entertained while I go and um, pick those up, but... Yeah, it's cool. nice. Yeah, I think we can have fun. Yep, yep. Nice to have you on the show. Um, this is John Burrell. He's um the co-host here on the show. He's down in um, North Carolina. Yeah, very nice. So you're in a warm place too, I think. Yeah, it, it was warmer today than it had been, but we've been experiencing some cold weather. But uh, yeah, I went to uh, I was in Tennessee a couple no a little over a year ago and I, I was surprised that it was like the same, I went in March and it was like the same temperature as it was in Toronto, which I wasn't expecting at all. I, I didn't know it, it got that, that chilly. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty high up in the mountains, pretty high elevation depends on where, I guess, depending on where you went, if you went to more like a Nashville area, maybe. I was, yeah, I was in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. It's hit or miss. I would say Tennessee's kind of similar to like North Carolina, I would say. But, you know, most of the year it's good, but if in the winter, spring, it sometimes it takes a little bit to, to come out of that. So, yeah, I mean, never been to Canada. So you, you like it up there? Or you know, I, I like it. It's, um, I've, I've been to the U.S. a ton. Um, and so I would say it's, you know, it's very similar culturally. Um, there are some definitely, definitely noticeable differences. Um, but you know, I, I do like Canada. It's, it's a smaller feeling for sure. And even though I'm in Toronto, which is a big city, but it's, it's not as big feeling as like, you know, Los Angeles and New York or anything like that. Um, I like it, but I, I love the States too. Um, my dad's side of the family lives there. So. Yeah. Have you been able to travel around within Canada as like, um, you know, if someone was going to Canada, was is Toronto where you would suggest, or you know, go out west, or, or where, where's the best place in Canada to visit? It depends on what you're looking for. Like if you want to, you know, see a lot of landmarks and stuff, you know, Toronto is a good place because you know, Ottawa is not very far, Montreal is not very far. You can do day trips 
Um, or even like if, if you're staying for a week, you can go, you can take a weekend and go to, you know, Ottawa or Montreal, something like that. Um, but if you want nature, I wouldn't recommend anything on the east side. I would say, you know, like Alberta, British Columbia, because it's just really beautiful over there. I've actually never been. I was hoping to go this year, but with COVID, it was just difficult to get over there. But um, it's really beautiful um, from what I've heard. You know, you got the mountains and you got the coast in, in British Columbia. So, yeah, sounds good. And um, we've, we've already gave your introduction right before we brought you in here. So it's, I didn't nice. miss doing that. So everyone should know about you by, um, by now. Um, you know, on your website, you know, you kind of focus on a bunch of different things, investing. Uh, I know you're big into that, but um, personal finance, probably like budgeting, stuff like that. And then like, I guess you, you do have career advice type stuff on there as well. You write a blog. So we'll, tr we'll try to go through, through each one of, one of those. Um, John, what would you like to start with? Should we knock out the investing part or should we, you know, kind of dive into personal finance? I, I assume they'll kind of flow in together. Um, yeah, we can start with personal finance. It's fine. Yeah, so, so um, you know, when you discuss personal finance, you know, kind of what do you encourage, you know, people to do, kind of start with, say you're a beginner, you're 20 years old, 21 years old, um, what should they be doing, you know, as, as they're kind of younger, getting out of college, that sort of thing? I think the very first thing, um, you know, you got to figure out where your money's going. So, you know, what you're spending your money on, because it's very easy. You know, if, if you're not paying attention, in my opinion, it's very easy for money to just be going all over the place. And, you know, you'll be spending, especially in college, you know, you got friends that are always wanting to go out and do things. Um, it's very easy for money to just kind of flow and develop a mind of its own. So, you know, I think the very first step, and it's, it's the first step I took as well, was, um, you know, figuring out where my money was going and, um, just, just tracking it, just seeing what I'm spending money on. And then from there, you can start making decisions about, you know, do I really care about spending this much money on, you know, like uh, going to the bar or something like that? Or, or do I, is there another area that I care more about that I can redirect that those funds to? So I think that's a really good uh, first step. It's just, you know, tracking your finances, whether you're using a tool or, you know, you got your own spreadsheets or something like that. You know, I think it's good to just, to start tracking it. Yes, it sounds good. I hear most people talk about, you know, creating some kind of budget. Um, would you suggest, you know, breaking it down, you know, to very small um, categories where you're very precise on what you're doing or, you know, kind of keep things umbrella, more umbrella-like um, categories? So I've tried both. Um, and what I eventually settled on was I settled on, you know, umbrella categories. So what I, what I pretty much do is, you know, I make note of fixed expenses, um, you know, like uh, car payments, uh, rent, anything else like that. And then um, I focus on, on the, so I, I, those are, you know, essentials that I need to cover. And then I, whatever's left, I sort of divide, well, you know what, let me, let me backtrack. So the first thing I, I really try to do is I try to think of how much I'd like to invest um, and it's, you know, I, I start with that, even though I may need to adjust it as I start looking at expenses, but, you know, I, I figure out, you know, okay, I want to invest this much money um, for the month. And then, you know, I look at uh, fixed expenses and I adjust the investment amount based on that. And whatever's left after that, it's just kind of a free for all. Like I just sort of, you know, that, that's just discretionary money. If I, 
you know, if, if one month comes along and it's say it's summer and I decide I want to, you know, go out and eat on a patio or something like that on the fly, as opposed to breaking it down into, you know, like this is for restaurants, this is for, you know, shopping, like that sort of thing. Yeah. So I, I, I try to keep it more broad. Yeah, that's kind of what I do too. Uh, my budget mainly consists of, like you said, the fixed um, stuff, the bills and stuff, because that takes up, you know, the majority of your money. And then that kind of shows you how much you have left. Um, I've never been one to break it down too far because say a lot of people break it down, you know, into how much to spend on groceries and stuff like that. And that, that's the one thing I can't wrap my head around that. I never wanted to, you know, pinhole myself on like something like food, like, I know I could probably save money by doing that, but I don't necessarily know that I would. I mean, I would just get what I normally buy and that would be what I put in my budget, um, you know, no for food. I, I wouldn't want to put, okay, I plan to spend $110 on food because I feel like that, I mean, I, with my mindset, I may actually limit myself to that. And it's like, well, I don't want to be eating peanut butter sandwiches for the last week of the month. So it's, I yeah. kind of like that out and just kind of, you know, put my, put my main um expenses in there john what do you do um i actually i'm more discretionary and not very uh, you know fixed i guess that's kind of like how you guys are too um for the most part i'm really cheap i don't spend a lot of money anyway so i have my fixed cost and then i have a certain portion of my income that goes towards investing and the rest of it i just stick into my checkings and as my checkings builds up money I just flow money into my savings, make sure I have six months of expenses uh, put back and then anything extra. Um, if there is any big uh, ticket items that I have in mind that I'm going to use it for, um, then, you know, I'll buy that. But if not, then I just stick the rest of it at the end of the year after I, well, at the beginning of the year, after I get my taxes, uh, tax income check back, then I'll just put that with any extra money I have and dump everything else into investment. So, uh, pretty simple for, for me. I actually don't look at my bank account very often, which, you know, a lot of people are very like to the dollar what they're spending. Like, you know, Chris was saying with the groceries, they'll have a fixed amount. I don't do that. I pretty much don't even look at my finances. Most of my bills are on auto draft and I just don't spend anything. And I know that I'll have enough money based on my income that, you know, if I don't, if I don't go out and just waste a lot of money, then I don't even have to look at it. Yeah, and if you're listening, as you can see, there's three different people who kind of do three different things. So it's really you got to find out what works for best for you. And sometimes even what you think works best for you may not be the best. So you got to fine tune it as as you go. But that what John said kind of leads into uh, another good question that you hear people talking about. You, you see people all the time, um, different places talking about, you know, don't have any money in your check-ins except what you got to spend on bills because it goes to die and you can put it in investing or whatever. Um, I personally don't necessarily think that's true. I think you need to have, you know, a little bit of money on the side. Cause like, like you said, I mean, you're out here, you're, you know, you're living life. You could die tomorrow. You want to have a little bit back. Say you, say you want to all of a sudden, you know, let's just say you're home from work late and you don't feel like you want to cook. It's 9 PM. Maybe you stop and get something to eat or something. So stuff like that. But, um, how much would you say to keep, you know, What's your feeling on that? Um, should you kind of just have your emergency fund savings, your checkings with just your bill money and then everything else in investing or, you know, how would you say to proportion things up? 
Yeah, so I keep a pretty large emergency fund. It's about eight months, which is like a, a bit longer than the three to six months most people say. Um, I, I extended it because you know, I bought a car and I just know that you know there's things that are going to happen. And so I, I just uh, added some more cash to that. Um, and in my checking, I do, you know, I always think a bit ahead. So, you know, I got bills that are due at the end of the month. And, and so, you know, like when I get paid, you know, for example, I get paid this week, I'll set the money aside already for those bills. And so that'll be in the account. But other than that, I don't really keep like, you know, a huge uh, buffer in there. It's just, you know, I, I think very proactively and, and get the money in there for the bills, but yeah. yeah, I don't keep a huge buffer for, uh, for checking. Yeah, I don't have a huge buffer, but you know, I'm married, so I can't always keep up with what she spends. I want, to, <laughs> I want it to be, um, you know, just this amount for the bills. And then, you know, she bought some gas or something. And now we're $30 short when I could have just, you know, had a little bit, you know, extra, extra in there. Also, you, you know, you, you never know things may happen. So yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it just depends on uh, your situation in that case. Uh, for me, I, you know, I pretty much keep a pretty big buffer in my checkings just so I don't have to look at it. Because the way I think about it is that if I don't have to look at it, I don't have to stress about it. And so, I, you know, I make sure there's enough money. You know, I pretty much have my savings account, which I don't really dump money into now just because I have the six months in there. Um, but the checkings account, you know, I make sure there's enough in there and I just let it collect through the year. And, you know, I'm still setting aside money for investing every month, but the extra, I just let it build throughout the year. And then I kind of reset after my income taxes come back. Um, and that just keeps that, you know, cause there's expenses at the end of the year for Christmas and different things. So I like to have that buffer in there. And then after the new year, I kind of just reset everything back to a starting spot. Yeah. And we just, we just bought a house as well. And so, oh, yeah. There's all kinds of, you know, fix this here, fix this there. So I try to keep some stuff in there. I don't really use the savings account. So that's that's kind of where mine's different. My, my money's in the checkings account. I just don't really use it. But it, it's just in there then instead of creating another account. Everything else just goes into my, you know, either like retirement accounts or my investing account as well. I used to be um, like – every single extra dime I had went to just investment accounts. Like for a while, I didn't even have an emergency fund. Um, this was, you know, over a year ago as well. It was actually around the time I visited Nashville that I started thinking, you know, maybe I need to develop an emergency fund. And it, it was like, right as soon as I, I had the, the six months in there, I ended up, you know, not having work for a month. So it was like per, just perfect timing um, to figure that out. But yeah, I, I used to just direct, everything to investments just, just everything um which is yeah you know, this year has taught a lot of people that you have to have something back because a lot of people lost their jobs and and uh, yeah you know, if you put money into like a retirement fund then that can be hard to get that money out without being penalized or something so i mean you can do a cash account or a margin account that's not a retirement account and have easy access to that but yeah this year has taught everyone that uh you know, probably everyone should save a little more. Yep, and um, going along with um, your personal finance, um, the last guest we had, um, he was big in taking control of like his finances. Um, he actually goes by the stock pair on Twitter. You may have seen him posting stuff on there, but um, 
he was kind of different. Um, he kind of monitored his 401k for a while and some of the things like that. And he felt they were underperforming. So he actually put all his money and did, did all those in himself. Um, you know, what was your kind of thinking on, you know, something like that, taking your control of your finances? Me personally, I like keeping my 401k separate, letting some, someone who has a lot more experience than me manage it, put in, you know, that's risk, as less risk as possible. And maybe I won't get the same return as I possibly could, but it's probably going to be there. And, and that sort of thing, I keep that completely separate than what I do on my, my own. I do know some people who, who um, has done things like that, where they, you know, they feel like, you know, the market's going up 12, 13% and they've gained 2% on their 401k. Why keep it in there? So um, how do you feel on, on that sort of thing? Yeah. So when I first started investing, I was using mutual funds um, for a while just at my bank. And it was a similar thing. Like I saw the, the market was, was out, way outperforming my, my funds. So I switched over to um, index funds for a while, like just managing my own index fund portfolio. But, you know, I'm pretty, hand, I, I like to be pretty hands off about it. Like I don't want to think uh, too much about it. And I found that I was constantly um, an, like overanalyzing my picks. And just like, am I doing the right thing? Like, is, the, is this result good? Um, and so I, I eventually switched to a, a robo-advisor. So it just sort of handles handles everything. Like, I, I set it to the most aggressive uh, setting possible. So it's just, it's 90% equity, like 10% fixed income. Um, and so I just pretty much shovel money in there. Like, I don't do any any major hands-on uh, trading, which I know you guys, uh, you guys have fun with that. Uh, it's good to uh, <laughs> it's good to uh, to talk with people who have different uh, different approaches for sure. Um, I so yeah, I, you know, I, occasionally I'll, I'll do you know, one to two. few hundred bucks. Uh, I had a good trade with Boeing earlier this earlier this year. I made like seventy percent in a few days, which was fun. But you know, I, I for the most part, I'm pretty conservative about it. Yeah, so um, I hear, I, as of recently, I've kind of converted more, I have a lot more of my capital and more longer term investments and that sort of thing. As of, you know, here recently, like the markets kind of went up where it was going. So um, a lot a lot of the volatility came out, which kind of, um, you know, is not as good to sell like premium or sell options in, in this time period, which are normally the less riskier version to play options and you know, things are kind of up, up and up. It feels like a lot of pe people don't know which way we're headed, whether we're still headed up, still headed down. So in the last couple of months, I've kind of started switching a lot more of my capital over to more of my like longer term um, portfolio. Now I, I have a couple hundred bucks that I, I still, you know, buy a call in if I, I see a, something in a company or maybe I can make a couple more you know, a little bit of money right there. Um, normally I just take that money and add it to my long-term investments, I'll keep what I have as far as like what I buy options with the same and then add all my profits to the long-term investment. So that's um, kind of here recently what I've done. John, his long-term investments are kind of the, the premium selling um, strategy and commodities, futures, that sort of thing. I'll let him tell you about it. Yeah, that. I'm very, 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 very stock. investing. The majority of, well, all of mine is, um, 
is hands-on that I invest. None of mine is in any index um, held um, other than if it's something that I'm trading. Um, most of my investments last um, one to three months, I would think. Um, for the most part, there's nothing that I hold more than that. Um, occasionally, there's something longer. And then I have some short-term stuff, and it's all in the same fund. Um, then I have some short-term stuff that I, that I play around with. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool to have different views. Um, you know, and, and everyone's different. Some people want – some people enjoy the investing like I do, and they want to be in there every single day. And, and some people, you know, it, it isn't their passion like it might be, you know, for, for me or for Chris or something. And they just – they don't want to think about it. They want to think about what their interests are, and that, that doesn't – you know, there's nothing wrong with that. So – um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the cool thing about being hands-on, um, it keeps me much more involved. And then we, you know, we do this on online and we get to meet people that have new opinions and it, it helps us grow as people, you know, as, as individuals too. So, it, yeah, it's, it's nice having, it's nice having you on here and, and, and meeting you. And I guess we go a little deeper into some, uh, investing stuff now, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, like John said, it's that's one of the best things we've got out of this. We've been able, you know, interacting with people on Twitter that does a, quite a few different things. We've actually become good friends with, you know, at least two or three of them. And uh, we've had a, we've had some long term investors on here who may be more hands on than I am. They, you know, check out what's up every day, post stuff, but they're like strictly um, long term investors. I know we have Colin Hayes on here, the the decade investor, and he's his Twitter has gone off a handle here in the last few months. I think he's like at eight thousand followers or something. But he's came on here and um, he's about as hands on as as I can see. But he he doesn't trade, so it's it's kind of different points of views. And uh, it's kind of a good thing for you know the listeners to to see is um, you know some people like being more hands on. That works for them. They like being involved. They like um, you know knowing. What, where their money's at on a daily basis. Whereas some people, you know, want to be hand more hands off. They, you know, they want to put it in there and look, say 10, 20 years from now, kind of look at it, but maybe keep up with it on um, a monthly basis or two, just to make sure they're in the right areas, but they definitely don't want to um, touch it every day. And it's really, you know, in my opinion, it's finding out um, what works for works for you. But the point is, everyone needs some sort of investment somewhere. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're holding yourself back. So it's a, a big point of emphasis we would like to, you know, put forward is that if you're not investing yet, find something to invest in, whether that's, you know, um, retirement fund, like an IRA or 401k, or, you know, just buying, you know, safe index funds is a lot of what a lot of people say is the easiest. So, but yeah, um, go, I guess you kind of mentioned there what kind of how what you have in investment like investing wise that you know you kind of have it set for the most aggressive um so with that i i don't know do you have like a a strategy for when you personally look for stocks or you know you kind of just let it do its its thing or do you have um you know kind of you like look at these numbers and that sort of thing to choose what to invest in so i you know, like the, like the Robo Advisor handles most of it, most of like as far as what I buy. Um, so it makes it easy. But I do, you know, the one thing I, I sort of do actively is I kind of see, you know, am I still there? I think, I think we're good. Yeah. So I, um, 
you know, when I see that the market's down, like for example, in March, when the market was just shedding tons and tons of money, I was, you know, losing quote unquote, um, of course it doesn't matter until you sell, but I was, you know, the value in my account was dropping like thousands of dollars per day. And so I, I take opportunities like that to sort of you know, pump more money in than I normally would. Um, so that's kind of where the, that's about as active as I get, but I do, you know, what, what you mentioned earlier, I do actually look fairly often, like if not every day, then at least, you know, every other day or something of that sort. Like I do pay attention um, pretty heavily just because, you know, my, my very first um, experience with investing was crypto, the cryptocurrency. So I, I'm very used to seeing like all kinds of madness in my account. So stocks, with the exception of, of this past March, nothing had really come close to what I'd seen in crypto. So it, it doesn't really phase me. Like I never get tempted to sell when I see the markets plunging because it's just, I know it is what it is. Um, so, but, but I do pay attention quite a bit um, more than, you know, I, I know a lot of people say like, never look at your portfolio ever, which I, I, I don't, I don't really do that personally. I know for some people, like if they're going to be panicking, then maybe it makes sense not to look at it. But for me, I, I definitely look fairly often. Yeah. Um, like the stock, when we had the stock parrot on, um, I guess he put, he removed all his money from his 401k like the week before the market crashed, like 500 and something thousand dollars. And then it crashed. His wife wasn't happy. And, um, he said like he, he invests in stocks, not really options as much and more long-term, but he definitely still trades stuff. Like when things go up, he may sell and get in something else. Um, he said, he just shut his computer for two months and he's like, uh, He's like, I normally look every day, but during that time, I just shut shut the computer. I didn't want to be tempted to do anything um, ridiculous. And I think, um, you know, since then, he's he's up to over eight hundred thousand, which means he made about three hundred grand on top of what he put in there this year, which is just crazy. Yeah, that's that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, what's your feeling on the market right now? You. Like as your hands off, but you, you, you know, you said you pay attention that sort of thing. So, you know, what's your feeling on it? You know, we're at all time highs. How long can this possibly last before we have some kind of, you know, pullback? You know, a lot of new investors are in the market, which, you know, some people blame. I, we personally think it's a good thing. More people should be taking control. And we think a lot of people's more mad because, you know, there are logarithms that's worked for 20 years, don't work anymore. And then they got to figure out something new. But, you know, you, you hear the um, Robin Hood trade, trader blaming uh, a lot um, on the high. So a lot of people think it's going to, you know, fully break off. But, you know, what's, what's your opinion on, on it? Are we we're going to go up for a little bit more? Are we going to plateau and kind of stay here? Or, or could there be a huge, you know, sell off at you know in the coming months or year so i i feel like like there have been times in the past couple of weeks where i've seen the market just rocketing upwards and i'm saying like why like it, i don't really get it because things are still shutting back down um like toronto just shut back down for example i know like california is doing a big shutdown um, so california is a fake shut shutdown i have no problem airing out how sort of fake the california um government is oh yeah hear about how much they're shutting down and um you know they got all these restrictions all this sort of stuff i didn't go back to, to california at long beach and back in september when it was full full-fledged um shutdown and 
technically the restaurants are closed, but um, you know, they had streets blocked off because you're not allowed to eat in the restaurant. Police had like streets barriered off so restaurants could put tables in the street. So oh, they- yeah outside seating there was restaurants that had like beer pong tables outside and like <laughs> like public use the beaches were packed i mean it's it wasn't shut down like they talk about they can they kind of pull the um we're a little bit better than everyone else card i feel like sometimes um on the news and i did not get that feeling was when i was there um i was in florida in august right before that and everyone says the opposite about Florida. And I can tell you right now, when I was in Florida in August, was more social distance and wary of the coronavirus than when I was in California one month later. So it's kind of crazy. Wow, okay. That's good to know, actually. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a completely different perception. Yeah, so a lot now, I think New York was actually shut down. If you hear about New York, but that's the one Yeah. I've been pointing out is I've got to hear recently I've had to travel a few places for for work and the news sometimes it looks so grim and it really not like even like airlines people talking about airlines still being dead and down they're not selling the middle seats really but all the air all the you know planes I've been on has been full except for the middle seats airports have people all over them so Maybe not as much as normal, but it's it's not as grim as, you know, what people still make it up to, to be. It's not like it was in March or April. It's definitely coming back. And that's one of the things I've pointed out multiple times about, you see a lot, especially John, he's recently has turned his perspective to more bullish, but he's normally real, real bearish. And all throughout <laughs> the year, he's been bearish, real bearish. But I think um, one thing I try to point out is um, – you know, in March, all of these stocks that like shut down, like the airlines, any travel stocks, um, things like that, which are in like the S&P 500, they um, closed down. So they like tanked. So everyone, everyone sees the market going up and they're like, how all these, everything shut down and that sort of stuff. But at the same time that those tanked, the other companies in there would actually have done better due to coronavirus. Companies like Apple, Amazon, all of those would have actually been better off with coronavirus. So, you know, those go sky, you know, way, way up. Even though, say, Delta goes down, it kind of balances, you know, everything off. So I I didn't think it was you know, the market going up with some kind of like, it's just going to tank at some point. Now we're getting into maybe an area where it's starting to get more questionable, but you know, back in September, August, I wasn't worried about like a tank. Yeah. So I actually think and my, my question was sort of like, you know, is the market going up because they're already pricing in, you know, like a full recovery and reopen. Yeah. Um, so that's one side I'm trying to figure out but my gut feeling is that next year is going to be in like insanely good I I, I do think um because you know even if you know like even even if things aren't aren't as bad as they seem right now you know I, I think next year it's gonna it's gonna also seem pretty good because things are opening up exactly so I think it's gonna be like a huge perception shift in terms of what's going on and I, I do feel like next year is going to be big and that's the same way I feel as well that next year is actually going to be pretty green because all the things that were closed are opening up but then at the same time people are still kind of worried about it so I don't see like you know things like zoom or anything else actually 
actually really going away. People still, there's still going to be tons of people worried about um, the virus and still going to be working from home and doing Zoom meetings rather than traveling. So while things are opening and better, there's, you know, some of these telecommunication stocks and sort of, and like Amazon, I don't think those necessarily are getting worse. And so it's going to be a, you know, kind of both at the same time. Now, 2022 may be a different story. I think by then we may be seeing, um, I don't know about Canada, but, you know, in the U.S., I think by 2022, we might be reaping some of the consequences of this humongous stimulus and this money printing that um, they're talking about right now. So, you know, it may not be all rosy years from now, but I do think in the next year, there'll be, you know, it's going to go up quite a bit. John, do you feel the same or how do you feel about it? I know you. Um, I mean, I have uh, my projections, you know, I'm more of like a macro type um, investor. So, uh, my, my projections, at least until um, uh, the end of Q2, it looks pretty bullish to me. Yeah, I feel, feel the same way. Um, do, do you, um, so you have equities. Do you ever look at any, you know, commodity stocks, kind of like you, you talked about Bitcoin, but what about like gold and um, things like that? Do you ever look at any of those as maybe a hedge to, um, your equity stocks? Right. For some reason, you know, it's never really um, crossed my mind. So I've been investing, not for that long, like I've been, I've been investing for you know, a little over four years. Um, so it hasn't been a, a huge amount of time. So I'm sure at some point I'll start thinking, you know, more about other things. Um, like I know with my robo-advisor, I hold a small amount of gold, um, but I don't really, like, no, I haven't, it, it's not that I have anything strongly against gold or any other, you know, commodities or things like that. It's just some, never something I've felt like so far that I had to, you know, incorporate. Yeah, I know John plays a, a lot with commodities, but more as trades. I don't know about gold particularly, but he looks at corn futures and all kinds of stuff on here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I like uh, I like investing in commodities and uh, gold, precious metals, and um, you know, bonds, interest rates, all that stuff is uh, fascinating to me. But um, so, with not have been investing in the other things, um, you said mostly like ninety percent invested in equities. Is that like benchmark to like the Dow or the S and P or the Nasdaq? Yeah, so so I have um, like I have VTI, which is the total stock market, uh, total U.S. stock market. Um, so a big chunk of my portfolio was actually U.S. Um, and then you know, sort of equals are Canada international, and then you know international uh, international equities. And, and those are Vanguard products. So, so two two of them are, um, and the others are sort are like different things like BlackRock and that, and that sort of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And um, is there a reason you went with the total stock market versus the S&P 500 or like the top uh, stocks Dow. like Dow or something? So I had, I owned a SPY ETF for a while. And, you know, when I was, when I was um, planning on like revamping things, I, I looked at a few different robo advisors and, you know, different, uh, providers of that sort of kind of hands-off service um and i just you know i don't remember the exact reason which this tells you how sort of hands-off i can be about the you know the micro uh, 
that actual holding some stuff. I don't remember the exact reason that uh, the person told me for choosing, you know, uh, VTI instead of SPY or something like that. Um, but whatever it was, it, it sort of worked for me at the time. Um, so I, just, I sort of went with it, which is kind of my ethos with investing. It's, you know, you can always, um, you can always sort of fine tune things. I'm sure you guys have been investing for a lot longer than me. So you've, you know, over the, over the, over the years, you guys have probably picked up on, on different things um, to look at and that sort of stuff. But for me, it was just sort of like, you know, the portfolio I had wasn't working for me because I was staying up way too late thinking about it and then looking at things. And so I needed to switch and I needed to find something that, you know, kept my money in the market and kept it growing as opposed to just, you know, keeping all of it in savings or something like that. So I, I, I didn't obsess too much over the, the details at the time. Yeah, and I mean, I guess uh, the total stock market probably is a, a little less volatile. Um, you know what it was? I just remember, sorry to cut you off. It was that it was a little bit less weighted. Um, like the S&P 500 is kind of really weighted to um, like the FANG stocks because that's just that's just how the S&P is. And then, uh, yeah, VTI is, is a bit more, um, bit more le- a bit less weighted towards, you know, just a few stocks. Yeah, and that it definitely uh, probably keeps the volatility down and, and gives you a more linear path uh, of growth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm actually going to go get my clothes. So, John. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, he's been traveling. We've had to do a couple of these while he's oh, yeah. on the road. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to actually mute his thing here so we don't hear any. Uh, interference there but yeah um that's interesting um and you said that was vti yeah vti yeah yeah and you said you had another um vanguard etf etf right yeah it's voo okay so that so voo is equivalent of like spy right yeah yeah it's their yeah it's their equivalent yeah yeah and that's like a smaller chunk yeah and what what's the one that you like for like um, international? Did you say you had international stuff? Yeah, let me pull let me pull up my portfolio. We can actually uh, I, I don't have to share a screen or anything, but we can uh, I can just read through and okay. uh, tell you what I hold. Yeah, but international, you know, for it hasn't performed as well as U.S. Obviously, um, but it's it's, you know, given what's happening this year, it's done a bit better than I expected. Um, and it, it was something that when I was managing my own portfolio, I never really thought about doing because it was just like US is basically, that's the stock market. And so I didn't really think of anything, of including anything international. But as soon as I switched to a, a robo-advisor, I noticed they did that. And, you know, I, I that was that was one of the things that I was, uncertain about when I was managing my own um, my own portfolio. Yeah, I haven't uh, dove into internationals. Um, yeah. Actually, it, it hasn't, uh, I really haven't thought about it yet, but you bringing that up uh, might be something I need to look into. Um, I noticed there was a few um, ETFs for like uh, specific um, countries, but um, they, they didn't really have much of an options market and I, I'm yeah. really heavy on like, you, you know, using options to build long-term, not really long-term, but like one to three month strategies. 
Yeah. Um, and I really hadn't found uh, good options market around any of those. But as far as like investing maybe a portion in the total uh, international outside of the United States, they can get more diverse, uh, diversification. So that might be something I'll look into. Yeah. So to give you an idea, like VTI is up almost 20% for me. Um, and then XEF, which is an iShares International Equities uh, ETF, they're up 7.8%, which that's a pretty big gap. But as far as, you know, like my portfolio also would have been a lot further down, I'm sure, if um, if I didn't have that in there in March. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's nice to have it there. It's not like it, um, it's not like it's a huge push for, for profits, but it, it's nice to, to have it there, yeah. And would you say the ticker was for the international one? XEF. XVF? XE is in Edward. Uh, yeah, X. E and then F is in Fred, yeah. Okay, X E F. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll have to I'll have to look into that. Um, and Chris, um, I muted your mic there, so you'll have to come back in. But we were talking about international investment opportunities and and uh, not just having it in the U.S. Uh, what's your thoughts, uh, Chris, on uh, on those? Well, that's what I was actually going to ask him was, um, you know, is there any Canadian stocks? I haven't really looked outside the U.S. too much. Is there a Canadian company that you're like, hey, this is this a Canadian company? Yeah, but they've been pretty shitty. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I used to, uh, what I used to actually love, and one of my favorite holdings when I was um, when I was managing my own stuff was uh, Smart Centers. It was a REIT. Um, so Smart Centers, much. Sure it's it's you know the uh i think i froze for a second there I yeah think you, I, you're like right, down good. there for a second cool so smart centers um like the, the walmarts um i think it's mainly walmart but you know like a few smaller stores as well like all the the commercial real estate is owned by these guys at least um in canada which I, yeah, it looks like they're Canada only. And but yeah, it was a smart, smart centers uh, REIT, and the ticker was SRU uh, dot UN, um, and it was really good. Like it, you know, the growth with with REITs isn't always the greatest, but as far as dividends, it was really nice. Oh, and you said that's um, what, so like I, I love that when I shopping centers it. are like they have it's, it's, their properties on. Exactly. So yeah, like the Walmarts, everywhere you go, you know, like in, in at least around Toronto, the greater Toronto area, the Walmarts are in smart centers. Okay. So that's an interesting tip there. I bet that would be good. Uh, that, that'd be a really nice dividend. Yeah. yeah. And like now, especially, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Mine's not, cut you off there. No, mine, mine's not related, so continue. I was <laughs> cool. I'm sure it's important, but let me, uh, let me run through. Um, like right now, you know, what's happening with a lot of businesses like, is like the smaller businesses have been short, have been forced to shut down. So it's really killing a lot of the smaller businesses. And, and you know, if you have any REITs that are kind of focused on smaller, um, smaller leases, it's, those companies are really hurting. Whereas the Walmarts, 
which is one thing a lot of small business owners are upset about. Like the Walmarts are just kind of allowed to open for some reason. Whereas, you know, a smaller business that's selling very similar things is being shut down, but Walmart is allowed to stay open. And so they're still able to keep up with, uh, with leases. So something like smart centers would, would be doing pretty well. I think it's, yeah, they're down a little bit from the last, uh, as a Friday, but they're not doing too, that bad. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. Um, I won't tell my dad he hates Walmart, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, we had a comment on, um, the YouTube and I had to figure out what it means. I looked it up. I was going to ask if John knows, but it was in Spanish. It was a uh, hello friends, everything, everything well. But so yeah, major K team, every, everything's good. But, um, thanks for asking E2. I know that much, but, um, yeah, so y'all were talking about international international companies as well. Um, you know, I don't have a re I don't really don't just don't have an opinion. You know, a lot of there's a lot of big ones right now, like the Alibaba and stuff like that. It's not that I dislike the company or anything like that. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Like I haven't done enough research. It's not been you know really in my my field. I've done one like earnings play on Alibaba, but Besides that, I don't think I've traded, you know, any international companies, I guess, besides ACB, but it wasn't a part of here recently when it got killed. Um, is, is that the, is that the best, is that, is that the one that's going to break through from Canada or is it going to be Tilray, Canopy Growth? To me, I feel like Canopy Growth is a little bit better of a company. And that's, you know, if I was going to play a weed stocks, which I don't have any, that's the one I would, would play. Cannabis stocks have done, have done, um, you know, I, I remember a couple of years ago, they were, they were huge. Like it was all the rage. Uh, it was kind of after crypto had sort of died down and then, you know, people really got into pot stocks, but it's, it's still a weird, uh, it's still kind of a weird situation with, with legal legalization in Canada where everything is sort of legalized, but you're still running into a lot of problems with the smaller, dispensaries where they're getting shut down for whatever reason um it's like I, I don't foresee a huge growth at least in canada like i know i know the u.s has has a, a ways to go as far as legalization um you know like i think that's uh, going next administration pretty... supposedly yeah i yeah, think they had, a vote last, they had a vote last wednesday i think to decriminalize it across the country so and I think in the last election, a couple of states, I know New, uh, New Jersey was the first East Coast to yeah. um, legalize recreational. So it's kind of like sports betting, um, you know, every little bit of a state approves it. Basically, they look at how well Colorado has done tax-wise and want a piece of the pie, really, more than anything else. Yeah. I, I think in the U.S., I would feel like there's more promise for the pop stocks than in Canada, just because... You know, Canada has always, at least in Ontario, it's always sort of been like a soft enforcement, even when it was illegal. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, it became legal and then the floodgates opened. It was just kind of, you know, yeah. But I think in the U.S., a lot would change more. And you guys are a much bigger economy as well. Um, so, yep. Yeah, yeah. My, my problem with the current, you know, the stocks, it's, you know, a lot of people are playing them now and, you know, just as, it's one of the things where they just assume like, okay, only a few states it's legal, so it should be something that grows tremendously. Um, my problem with it is 
I feel like it's a lot harder to see which one of those, you know, which one will be um, good. I mean, there's tons of, there's tons of different, different ones of them. If you play them, you basically got to play them all and hope one hits and takes, takes away the, you know, all the losses from the other. But I, I feel like it's kind of impossible to determine, you know, which one of these is like a great company thus far because it's not as widespread. So it's, it's a lot hard, harder to fit, figure out all their, all of the company's financials are pretty terrible, I, I assume. So I don't know. I just, just wouldn't know what to play um, right now, currently, anyhow. Um, John, you got anything else on, you know, investing? Yeah. Sorry, my internet just, is just uh, being a mess over here. No, it's okay. I'm surprised. I, I originally cool. thought it was mine where I'm in a hotel, but John, you got um, anything with investing before I go back to um, personal finance? Um, not off the bat, I don't think so. I think uh, we covered all the questions I had. Yeah, so one of the reasons we, um, you know, linked up on, on Twitter was, you know, you kind of posted it something about, you know, buying a car and you, like you said, you just kind of mentioned buying a car and like a lot of people you, you see, especially if they're on the money Twitter, you see people saying, you know, you can't do this or you can't do this. If you do this, you can't be wealthy or you have to do it this way. And you wasn't, you wasn't saying stuff like that. And, and so that's one of the reasons we linked up. So I definitely want to hop into, you know, kind of your feelings on, on some of that stuff. But, you know, since we probably do got some money Twitter people listening, um, if you want to steal this idea and make yourself um, a gumroad course and hustle everyone out of their money, feel free. But I, I just went to pick up my clothes and um, all you need to do is buy a washer and dryer, you know, make sure the dryer only works about halfway. So your clothes are about half dry when you get, so you have to put it <laughs> four quarters. And um, so these here, there's been multiple people. That's why it took so long because they come back in and put more, I mean, they ran for 45 minutes and they're literally half, half dry. So that's, that's your next hustle idea. You can just um, have a crappy dryer and then people just have to keep feeding it because they're really not uh, much of a choice unless you hang them up, which is what I'm about to do because I only got enough quarters to do um, the one load because I assume their um, stuff worked appropriately. But um, <laughs> going back to, um, you know, like you said, you just bought a car. Did you buy a new car, a used car? What what'd you buy? Yeah, so this is, this is probably where, you know, a lot of money Twitter people would be like, what? But I, I did buy a brand new car, um, like brand new 2020. Um, it, it, it's, I guess it's, it's, I guess it's slightly better than buying 2021 because um, the interest rate was yeah. much, much better. Um, but I, I did buy a brand new car. Now the caveat though, because I didn't buy like a Jaguar or an Audi or something like that. I bought a, I bought a Toyota Corolla. So it's, it was a very basic car. Um, it's, a, it's something I could have bought multiple times over um, in cash. So I think that's the important thing to remember when it comes to vehicles, at least, you know, it's, it's, while I do think it's good to be a bit more flexible in how you think about things, like it's not like you never buy a new car, but at the same time, it's still not a good idea for many, many people. It's, um, but yeah, that, that, that's sort of what I was getting at with that tweet there. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you have the money for what you're buying. If you make 50 grand a year, you don't need a $50,000 car you can't afford it but um yeah so i actually bought a new truck back in may as well uh like a 2020 
Ford Ranger, and mine also had some caveats. And I think that's kind of what people miss when you know they they're saying don't buy this or don't do this. Is there's ways to you know to make it better if you look hard enough. If you go just to the local dealer down the street, or you know go to somewhere that's like. Um, no credit check need and so yeah they're going to screw you on the interest rates and that sort of stuff but when i bought mine back in may i bought it you know at the perfect time ford was actually having you know zero percent interest for the whole term so i bought a new car and yes i'm paying payments i don't have any interest it's no different than if i just bought bought the truck and then i also got one which is new but they they had some kind of program where like say you didn't have a truck and you needed to you know go to lowe's and get something you could like loan out this course so when i got this truck it had you know probably a thousand miles or something so basically brand new but that took five thousand dollars off the the tag so i got zero interest and substantially cheaper for basically a brand new truck so there's ways to do it and what i, I live in virginia i bought it from charlotte so i mean i just got on cars.com and i looked around and see who had the best one at the best deal and for the best price and then there's ways to do it and that's what i don't think um you know people understand it's not just not buy a car because like you said you know my family's real big into cars old cars we've been drag racing and stuff since i was younger you know yeah it's easy to go out and buy a $2,500 car or whatever but a most people don't know enough about cars to know whether the used car they're buying from someone at walmart is um actually worth even the money they're asking for or if um the person selling it knows a little more about the car and has you know put a little bit of increase also if you buy you say a car with 120 150,000 miles on it um, yeah, it's cheaper, but you're definitely going to be doing some work and probably some major work, but way before, um, you know, the end of the life of the car or even something to break down big enough that you had to buy a new car. Whereas if you would have just bought, you know, the new car up front, um, you could have probably, you probably spent reasonably the same amount of money, except you, you know, you suffered because the air conditioner didn't work or you had to call a tow truck because it broke down and get fixed, stuff like that. So there's plenty of, of things I don't think gets considered as much, but that's not the only thing um, that, that people do. Is is there anything else um, that you see maybe on like money, Twitter, you know, that people are saying you need to do this or do that, that, you, you know, in your experience, you would say, you know, maybe not that extreme or no, that's really not true. One thing I, I do want to add uh, just really quickly um, to what you said, because I think it's important. Um, what, what made me switch to, to buying a new car was um, I did the math and with the interest rates, which are much, much higher on, on used vehicles, um, I would, I would have been saving like a couple grand, which to me, I don't know much about cars. That's like, you know, a couple grand is like, you know, that's just one, one mechanic ripping you off one time. So to yeah. me, that was my thought process was just, you know, I'll, I'll just spend the extra money and, and get a new one. Don't have to worry about that. Yeah, uh, what I mean with used cars is um a lot of people, you know, say just go to like a trading journal or Facebook or something and just, you know, paying cash for, you know, a shitty car that, yeah, it's cheaper, but it's probably high mileage. And if you don't, so if you know stuff about cars, I think you're probably fine doing that because you know what to look for. But if you don't know anything about cars, you're probably going to um get a lot worse off than um than you think because you're you're not going to negotiate really that much or you're not going to like the person who's selling it knows if there's something wrong knows 
you know, how its life has been, how hard they've drove it, um, things like that. And even if that person don't, some, sometimes it's people that know about cars and they're going to, you know, sell for more. But even if they don't know about cars, one thing I found is with almost anything, not just cars, people tend to think their stuff is worth a lot more than what it actually is worth. Like it may have some kind of sentimental value or, you know, if they sell this car, they need that for a down payment to buy this car, which is X amount, was well, probably not worth that amount. So. Exactly. Yeah, to answer, now to answer your other question, I see a lot of, um, like a lot of people talking smack about nine to fives, which is my other sort of pet peeve. Um, that's probably even a bigger pet peeve than like the never buy a new car thing, because the never buy a new car thing is kind of, it does kind of make sense for a lot of people. Um, but the, you know, nine to fives is like the flip side. Like nine to fives work for a lot of people, if not the majority of people. Um, but money Twitter seems to, you know, say like nine to fives are terrible. Like you should never have a nine to five. You should want to be an entrepreneur and that sort of stuff. But, you know, I, I think the, the, where a lot of people mess up is they equate nine to fives with like McDonald's or, you know, working at Walmart or something like that. Whereas, now, there are some really good nine to fives that you can that you can have um, and they give you freedom to do things, freedom to be creative, um, freedom to, you know, even if even if you're not an entrepreneur, you're, you have the entrepreneurial spirit in your department or, you know, if you're developing a product or something like that, you know, nine to fives can be great, uh, I think. Um, you know, I, I, I do agree that you shouldn't be completely dependent on one because one cannot, you know, you can always lose your job. Um, so, you know, you should have an emergency fund, you should have investments, that sort of thing. But as far as, you know, your goal being to quit your nine to five, I don't, I don't think that's really valid for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree with that as, as, um, as well. And my thing with it is, um, you know, yeah, have your emergency fund, have everything set up. So you have leverage in the conversation with your nine to five. Like if you've worked there for five to 10 years and you haven't went anywhere and I mean, you should go ask for a raise if you haven't went anywhere. And if they can't give you that, then you have enough funds where you can quit long enough to go find something else. Or even, you know, some sometimes you get in jobs where it's not necessarily that you're doing bad at your job, but there there's only so many man uh, manager positions or higher up positions. You may not get those. Somebody else may get those just due to the time you've been there. Somebody might have been there a little bit longer and, you know, done the same thing so there's there's stuff like that where i think if you have your finances in order you'll put yourself in more of a position of leverage where you can use that to better your position at your current nine to five or leave and find something better because you know you're you're well off financially but yeah i also agree with um, the nine to five thing that's the nine to five to me is a perfect way to get started. People, the same people who are saying that are also saying, well, now's the time to invest. You can, you can do this, invest $20. Well, if you, you don't have a job, you probably can't do that. So exactly. <laughs> work, yeah. work your nine to five. And if you don't like your nine to five, you have evenings, weekends to do something different and see if that's going to work. But you have the you know, you have that money coming in. You can't, if you quit your nine to five to pursue something that you don't even know is like we're doing this podcast right now you know back in may we we didn't know whether anyone would listen to the show or not we could just quit our jobs and say oh yeah we're gonna start this podcast and see what happens i mean you you have to try things and test the waters i mean companies do that with products all the time you know put out a filler and see if people like it but you have that opportunity to you could 
you know, outside your nine to five to be creative, you know, do what you want and try to figure out, hey, will that work? And if the answer is you can't make as much money as at that as your nine to five, well, maybe you keep the nine to five. Now, unless, it, you, know, you know, if it's close, like say you're making 60 grand at your nine to five and you make 50 grand doing whatever you like and you like it substantially better and it makes your, you know, outlook on life um, better than maybe that's worth it. But say you're making 30 grand doing this and you're making 60, 70 grand at your nine to five, I wouldn't quit my nine to five to do do this that, that doesn't make sense because you can use even though you may hate it for a certain amount of time you can use that to build your wealth and retire early and do whatever you want not even work a side hustle you can just you know do whatever you want so yeah I see that like you said i see that a, a lot on there with the nine to five and then the other thing i was taught and john's from the same place i am so i know he was kind of similar was i mean especially if you you got a family or something you, you got to take care of um, you got to take care of the responsibilities. Like I see people in there sometimes that are, you know, married. So they're like, I'm quitting my job to do this, or I don't like this or whatever. It's like, well, you, what's your backup plan? Because your life isn't the only thing that's being affected by this. And it goes the same thing with the people who are like, you know, I, I don't know if the word's cheap, but they budget so much where they're putting like 50, 75% of their like, um income into investing and they have like a full family like i saw a guy the other day and I, I think i put a thread out about it he was talking about he he just sold his house to buy an apartment complex and his family was going to live in one of the apartments which would be paid by the rent of the other apartment so he could live free and put that more money into investing it's like if you lived in this house before with like say a yard and that sort of stuff your family don't want to move to an apartment besides all your like tenants and stuff also, the house that you own that you just sold is probably worth just as much as you buying the real estate because the real estate on the house A is going to be worth more. You only have that expenses, whereas the apartments you have everyone's expenses and you know stuff like that. I I feel like there's a lot of very extreme things on there where it's like yeah. you don't need to be that extreme. Just be diligent on what you're doing. Keep adding to your investment profile. Still have a plan. Like actually create a plan at the at the beginning and stick to it unless it's not working and if it's not working figure out what is what would work and fix it but you don't have to be so extreme you know where you're basically living eating peanut butter sandwiches and living in a box or something but <laughs> I have two million dollars in my um investment account but it just doesn't make sense to me like a lot of and it's a little bit long of a rant but um it, it kind of like well I'll do all that now so I can live better later. You don't know if, how long you're going to be, be around. Also, when you're, you know, 25, 30 years old, you can do a lot of things that you can't do when you're 55 years old. So there's, there's a balance. Like you need to have stuff ready for the future, but you can't bet everything you have and live, have a terrible life now. So maybe in 30 years you can live on the beach or something. Yeah. And I would say, you know, one of my, I agree with everything you just said. And, you know, one thing I always think about is like, like you said, you never know how long you're going to live. Um, and, and I try to invest in a way or I try to, to spend and, and, and think about money in a way where, you know, even if let's say, and this might be morbid, let's, let's say next week I die. I, I wouldn't regret, you know, the way I, I use my money. Yeah. I wouldn't say, Oh, I saved everything. I didn't enjoy anything. Um, I would, I would actually, you know, think, 
I enjoyed my money. I also enjoyed the process of building investments for what I thought was going to be the future, but you know, that's just how things go. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a good question for you. And we, you know, you see a bunch of different takes, you know, on Twitter or like in all over the place, whether it's on Twitter or it's, um, you know, actual professionals, professionals have a bunch of different takes on this subject as well. Um, where do you stand on kind of the order you should do things as far as like paying off debt, mainly lower percent debt with investing? Because you got one, a lot of people with one side of the fence where it's, you know, they say debt is, it's certain you have to pay this no matter what you are going to have to pay this to so pay it off first, even let's say it's um 4%. And then you got the other side that's saying, well, you can, if you invest it, you can get 8%. And then that's only 4%. So you're actually making 4%. So the best thing to do would be put some money against the debt, some money in the investment. And then others are, of course, all the money in the debt first and then the then the investing later. Where where do you stand on that as far as especially we'll we'll throw out like credit card and stuff like that, the high high interest rate. If you have that, pay that off first, no matter what, before you do anything else. We're, but we're talking, you know, low, low interest rate debt. Yeah, so I'll tell you how I'm approaching my car payment, which is 1.09%, um, so pretty low. Um, I'm I'm not rushing to pay it off, but I'm paying a little bit extra every month um, just for the sake of not not carrying it out uh, too long. But I do think, I, I do subscribe to the theory that you should invest um, before rushing to pay off lower interest debt because it's just getting your money in the market earlier. No, you, yes, you can pay off low interest debt and in a rush to get rid of it and then just invest when that time comes around. But, you know, getting your money into the market earlier, I think is, is the way to go. That's my personal opinion. So that's, that's how I handle, handle my money. Yeah. I feel the, feel the same way because, you know, especially for like long-term stuff, say like, and especially stocks that pay dividends, the the main part is not really how much return and that sort of stuff, which is still a big portion. It's it's you you want the compounding effect. So you know, wait in you know, say five to ten years um, to get started. You're you're behind the curve on that. When um, whereas where when you took the loan, which say your car payment is one percent, you financed it for a reason. Otherwise, you would have just so like you have the money to pay for it in cash. You financed it for a reason in order to not lock up all that capital you currently have now because you can make something on that capital. So that's kind of the way I, I see it as well is you, you got the loan and some people finance things even when they don't have to um, just so you don't have to put say 30 grand over here right now because it's better suited. So I, I feel the same way. I think John has the adverse um, opinion. So if he wants to go, we'll hear him out. As far as like taking on debt when you don't have to? Or? The whole conversation we got in a month ago, the low interest debt. No, the low interest debt, paying it off first or investing and paying it off at the same time. Um, I guess it depends on the, I mean, the, uh, the purchase. I would say if you have, um, debt on a house or well not a house we're talking like say, say like um say like you had a student loan from school that's like four percent interest let's say that do you oh, pay that um, off no it, it, if i have a, it, it off. 
if I would have a student loan, then I would definitely pay off the student loan before I would invest. For me. Yeah, so that's where, yeah, so give us some reasons. That's where we're at because we're both on the other side. So for, for me is, um, you know, having debt is for sure and investing is not for sure. So if you invest, it's not a guarantee that you will make money and there's a chance that you can lose money. If I pay off my debt, it's guaranteed that I paid off more towards my debt than I did. Now, however, if you have debt on a house or you have a small debt on a car or something, then yeah, you can still invest. But certain things like it, certain things that is like a lot of debt, like student loans can be, if you have a lot of debt in student loans, uh, that equals a house. Like there's a lot of people out here that have student loans that is just as much as a debt on a house, then I'm paying off that student loan debt before I start investing. But if I'm if I have debt on like uh, a TV that's like two grand, I'm paying the TV off before I invest anything else because you know, I mean debts for sure, investing's not, and I'm going to pay off my debts other than like a house or uh, or maybe a car or something to that effect. But for the most part, if I have a large debt in student loans or if I have you know, if I buy, like, there's no reason if I buy a TV and I get zero interest on it, but I have the money to buy that TV, then I'll set that money aside that I would buy that TV, but the interest is free and you have some extra money that if an emergency comes up, you can use that two grand uh, that you would have bought that TV with as like, you know, as a meantime thing, like they have to be a big enough incentive for me to invest if I have debt. Like there's uh, an uh, occasion that I had a, a credit card that had intra introductory rate of zero interest for 15 months. Well, I might, um, some things that I would buy anyway, I might put on that card and I might keep that debt and still invest, but I still have money set aside that I can pay that off in full, but I'm not gonna, um, you know, th th there'll have to be a, a, a extreme reason why, but I'll always have the money to decide to pay off that debt um, anyways. And if it's something large that I don't have the money for, then I'm not going to invest when I don't even have the money to pay off the things I've bought. Well, going going on that, John, you said a car you would, but uh, student loans you wouldn't. You know, let's say you bought a car, it's $20,000. You have $20,000 in student loans loans and the interest rate's the same how's that a different scenario it's the exact same scenario well I, I meant like if you're investing into cars uh and you have a low interest i mean a low uh, a, if you have a low debt on a car but if you have like 20 grand then no i'd be i'd be trying to you know for me i'd be trying to pay you the car off first. if you bought a brand new car you don't have a low debt it's whatever the car cost at the time so i mean it's not well, like, i know like but, but you don't you could buy um, a car that's not new and still have low debt on it. I mean, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, I'm just saying if I have 20 grand or what I would consider a high amount of debt, um, you know, above like, uh, above like 10 grand, then I'm definitely paying off that debt before I start investing because, you know, I still owe for this investment and either I have the money set aside that I can go ahead and pay cash for that but I'm not paying cash for that because the low interest rate, the interest rate's lower than inflation. And I know that if I uh, borrow money on this to, to make this investment and keep the cash in like a, uh, a high yield savings account or something, 
that'll outperform the debt that I would have that's guaranteed that's not really an a risk investment, then yeah, I would do that. But I'm paying off debt before I, before I invest. And I, I don't have any debt right now. Um, I drive a very old vehicle, but it still has original everything except for the battery and alternator. And uh, so, you know, I'm going to drive that. Uh, you know, I'm not a big on cars. I have zero debt. Um, I don't owe for anything, don't have anything on cars. Uh, or So I, you know, I invest now. But if I did, uh, you know, buy a house, I would still invest. But, you know, if I rack up a car debt, I'm paying the car off before I invest. Um, here's a curveball for you, John. And Brandon, you can pipe in. What about medical bills? Say you have a surgery. Where does that stand? Um, well, if you have, see, if you have like, a lung bills, transplant where you have medical bills, but also they're not coming can, after, they're also can, not coming after your lung either. So, yeah, I mean, so they, if you don't pay, if you don't pay off bills, that can hurt your interest rate. Um, if you do pay the minimum payment, uh, usually there's, you know, there's no interest as far as I'm aware on medical bills. Um, so you could possibly still invest um, before you have that paid off because like you said, they're not going to repo your lungs. So uh, I guess in that scenario, I'd be okay with investing first, but I would still make sure I'm paying the minimum payment on that so they're not hurt my credit. All right. And um, yeah, so I don't want to keep you too long. So just moving forward a little bit, um, you also, you know, I saw a, a tab for like career stuff on your, your website as well. Um, what all does that entail? What do you get into? What are you trying to help people with as far as that goes? So I've got one article on there for now. It's just uh, like a list of uh, recession proof jobs. Um, but going forward, I do want to add more that's just sort of like, you know, how to get a raise, how to ask for a raise, how to sort of navigate, <coughs> sorry, how to sort of navigate yeah, the- do some of that, let's, let's hear it. Let's see. So yeah, you know, raise. How, how does he <laughs> well, I think the big thing, um, the big thing, you have to show that you, um, of course, you have to show that you deserve a raise. Um, you've got to start, you know, preparing, sort of your evidence. I, I think it starts before you even approach to ask about uh, to ask for a raise. I don't think you just go and say, "I need a raise." Um, here are all the reasons. Um, I need to raise. I think it starts before that. You know, you start sort of pointing out how you're you're bringing value to the company, um, it, it, and it's a good in general show how you're actually benefiting the company that you work for um, as you're doing things. So I, I think I think that's a good approach. You know, you you think, hey, I need or, or hey, I deserve a raise because this is the market rate for the job. Um, this is what I'm getting paid, and this is the amount of value I'm bringing to the company. Um, let me start building the case before I actually go and ask for a raise. Um, and, I, you know, I, I know, like, sometimes people try to make, like, an ultimatum, you know, give me a raise or I'm going to leave, that sort of thing. I generally, you know, the times where I've asked for a raise, it's always, it's always been, you know, like, it makes sense, and it's very obvious that you know, I, des I deserve a raise. I, I try not to do that just because that's just not how I am. Like I'm not sort of like my way or the highway type of person. Um, and I've always, you know, had decent relationships with my employers where it's been like, you know, they can kind of see when I, when I'm pulling my weight and when I'm, when I'm delivering value 
And so it's just, it's usually a very easy conversation. Now, when I write articles, I always try to think, you know, beyond just myself. And so that's how I would do it. But I, I do know that there are some situations for sure in which, you know, you would want to have a list of, uh, of reasons you should get a raise. So I, I always try to research and, and like, you know, figure those things out and provide some tips for people in different scenarios. So yeah, that'll be one of the things I, I dive into. Yeah, and like you, um, like you said, most of the time it's very obvious that you know you need to raise. Like we have you say you normally work in the office and um, you haven't got a raise in a you know a few years or whatever, and all of a sudden you know you had to travel six months out of the year. Maybe that's a time where it's like, hey, I had to. I mean, I went and did this. I, you know, I didn't complain. I did what I was asked here, um, and that's really not in my job description. I think I deserve so a scenario like that, but I would agree. Don't don't necessarily give ultimatums because there's. I feel like there's very few people in the world that can't be replaced at something like. If Elon Musk wants to give an ultimatum, Elon Musk can give an ultimatum. But you know, most standard jobs they can find someone um, like that because every, there's so many people without jobs already. So it's like somebody will step in there and do it probably for less money than, than what you were already doing it for really. So it's, it's hard to leverage like yeah. that unless you're like, you know, at the top, some, some of the top levels or something like that. But yeah, that's definitely one, um, one thing I've seen, and especially in my field now, now my company, we have like um, once a year with whoever's your next superior, you have like um, a review where you discuss like the goals you put forth for yourself the year before, whether you met those goals, new goals, how the year went, are you liking things, and that sort of stuff. And normally some kind of pay increase comes out of that. It really depends on how well the company did. So if the company had a terrible year, maybe not as much, but if it had a great year, most people's probably against some kind of increase, but it's in that format where every year, you know, you're having that, you're having that conversation. I don't need to go to someone and ask for one because, you know, March, April comes around I'll have that conversation. But one of the things I've seen in my field, as far as like promotions and this sort of stuff goes, and, you know, a lot of people really like this. I, I don't necessarily like it as much. And it's companies, you know, they're, they're kind of putting their promotion for, they kind of have a format at the forefront when you get started, like, okay, you're at this level. When you complete this, 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 you go to level two, and then you complete this, this, and go to level three. A lot of people's liking that and it kind of gives you a structure for a pay raise. Personally, I don't know that it's the best because now, you know, sometimes I feel like sometimes sonority, you know, means a lot more than how you actually perform. And there's definitely times where this person who maybe has worked five years is a much better like manager of or leader of people than say this person that worked 10 years who is really good at what they do here is just wouldn't be good at that next level. And I feel like that kind of, you know, some companies that may hamper. So how do you feel about like a system like that where it's as you, you know, it's kind of set out at the forefront? Yeah, so I've worked with startups for my entire career so far. So I've never been in a situation where it's been sort of structured like that. And so I, I don't know exactly how I would feel in that situation, but I can say that, you know, I do prefer, at least, you know, I, I do enjoy this, this structure of, you know, like you prove your value and, and a raise comes out of that rather than there being like a set. Yep. Structure. 
reason I like that is because like, you know, you start a job and, and it, it works for the, for the employers too. Like they don't know exactly what value you're going to bring to the company. Like your value could be in areas like completely unrelated to, to what you do. Like that could be like, like, you know, a lot of your value is there. Like, um, you know, in, in my job, like I've been, I've been developing like, like actual coding, like a lot of tools that sort of speed processes up. And that's never something that would have come up in, in my role, which is just marketing. So in the, in the job interview, it never would have, would have come up to say, hey, I'll, I'll develop tools that make the company run smoother. Um, and so, you know, that, something like that, which, you know, as I started doing those things, I did get a raise. It wasn't directly tied to that, but I, I did get a raise um, as I was doing things like that, which I prefer that because it, now it incentivizes me to find creative ways to, um, you know, to provide value. Whereas in a structure, it's just like, okay, I'll just do this, 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 and this. And I'll only do those things and that, and I'll get a promotion that way, um, which I, I prefer the opportunities to innovate and, uh, and be creative. Yeah, I, I like that too, because the way I was raised, you know, try to be, out, try to outwork anyone. If you see someone working this hard, if work harder than that, you know, be the last one to leave, that sort of things. And, um, you know, that's all, historically, that's always worked. If you do that, you're going to show value to the company and then that's, you know, but sometimes in a structured um, setting, you know, person can just kind of do what they need to get by because it's going to work either way. But there's there's other things to it too. I feel like it's kind of like it gives employees kind of like a fake feeling of their standing because you've moved up these levels. But in reality, they're still managers. They're still this manager over here, this manager over here, which is going to be a job that you apply for that someone gives you, they award you that job. Whereas, you know, you can be a level four or whatever, and which is similar position, but it's really not a similar position. You do the exact same job. You just kind of got a raise to another pay scale, basically. So it kind of gives you like a fake sense that of standing, um, you know, know where you're at. So that's yeah. kind of how I feel feel about it as well um one more thing before we let you go you are um so we didn't mention this at the forefront for your nine to five you do content creation for startups and you know public companies we've been doing this podcast you know not that long since may We're, we've grown our viewers pretty good twitter is kind of lagging but here's the last i think we've um you know got like 70 new followers in the last like week and a half so here very nice week and a half two weeks it's like kind of starting going up and you know, most people, you once you hit like the 500, it kind of is not as hard after that because, you know, the word goes to more people because more people share it. But, um, you know, this is kind of in your job um, description. What should we be doing to move our show forward, um, get it to more people, um, you know, things to do better as far as, um, you know, marketing ourselves and the show and things like that? What, what kind of tips can you give us? So what's, what I found really worked for me on Twitter, um, which at work, I don't do a lot or, or much with Twitter. Um, but what I found, which was kind of new to me as I was building, uh, building my own blog, was I found that, you know, interacting with people. So like 90% of my tweets are quote tweets. So, you know, I'll see someone said something interesting and then I'll try to add to it in some way. And I feel like that's uh, that's the only thing I can, I can really pinpoint that's special about, you know, this versus other Twitter accounts that I've had. Um, you know, I, I'm adding to people's, uh, 
to people's thoughts and I'm sort of engaging with people more. I think that's the key on Twitter. It's like, you know, I honestly did not expect to be growing as quickly. It's not like I'm shooting up or anything, but I, I started, you know, it, it's kind of roughly been a hundred a week, hundred new followers a week. And then I passed 800 on Friday. And I think I'm at like um, 870 or no, sorry, 850 something. Um, it's just been kind of weird to see the, uh, the growth so rapidly, but I, I really think it's just the engagement. It's like, um, you know, 90% of my tweets, like I said, are engaging with other people as opposed to just kind of putting my own thoughts out there, which is what I've done in the past. Yeah, and, well, yeah, and that's, that's the way I, I felt um, too. I try to engage a lot in there. That's actually, you know, most of our tweets is, you know, like engaging with other people, talking to other people. Um, you know, if I see an ad pop up, I might drop our show link in there, you know, say someone with a blue check mark or something that's kind of relevant to something we talked about in the show. I'll be like, okay, we talked about this in the show. We had some stuff to add. Here's the link. Check it out. That sort of stuff. So, like I said, here recently, we, we're starting to pick it up a um, pretty good amount. I think I probably got like, we probably got like 20 new ones today, which is pretty good because we're, we're still starting out. So, um, yeah, we're trying to pick up. But the one thing I saw, which I, I'm going to try to start doing more of, John's going to try to start doing more of, is, um, you know, when you first make your personal Twitter, like when you're in high school or whatever, the thought is it's not like Facebook because you it's so short. People don't want to read all this, and it seems to, you know, keep it as short as possible. Whereas now I'm seeing on Twitter, it seems to be people – People like seeing these, like people create threads, like education, educating threads or threads about this and that. People would rather see stuff like that. So I've done a few of those recently and those really, you know, picked up um, some followers. So that was something when we first started that I didn't, you know, think much of because I've always thought the opposite of that. So that's something we're going to add as we go. Um, what about hashtags? Uh, people's on both sides of the fence on this one. Do you? Do you use the hashtags or do you not use the hashtags? I guess the people that say use them and we use them a lot is you get yourself out to people who may have never seen your thing or follow someone else um, that you're following. So they may have seen it. So they you may have a chance to pick up a completely new audience that's not just connected. And then some people, I guess, um, look at them as it takes up a lot of room. It looks tacky. Yeah, I don't. I don't really use hashtags. I, I'd say it's probably for the reason that I just don't like how they look. Um, yeah. The other thing I, I know with Twitter is like, you know, hashtags do, hashtags are great, but Twitter has also gotten a lot better about, um, you know, pulling ideas from just the normal words. So a lot of the times you'll see the trends are not even really hashtagged. It's just kind of like a concept, um, like, like, you know, whatever's happening or whatever people are saying a lot. So I think, the importance of hashtags, at least from what I can tell, it is a bit less than it used to be. But it's I, I don't think it it hurts, you know, unless you just don't like how hashtags look. Yeah, that's the way I feel is you're just trying to get um, you know, out to new people because a lot of times what I see is we engage a lot on there, but especially in the money Twitter side of things, a lot of people follow the same people who follow the same people. So it's like, once you break into this one, you kind of hit your limits. You're not getting to other, other people because everyone, you know, is looking at the same 10 accounts to begin with. So that's yeah. kind of. One thing to add to that, actually, I do notice sometimes where I, it's like I hit a block, like I'm gaining followers and then it just kind of stops. 
what, what I noticed happens is, and it's related to what you said, you know, you're kind of stuck in the same, same space. It becomes sort of an echo chamber. And then, so what I do is I just start following a few other people. Like I'll look and say, okay, I'm going to find 10 accounts and follow them right now. And that even just that, even before you start interacting with those people, it's like, but just by following them, you end up on someone else's radar because there are other people that are doing the same thing. They're like, they're looking for accounts to follow and then they're looking to see who those accounts uh, follow. And so, you know, just, just simply by, you know, sometimes following 10 new people for the day, it's just like that just starts up the, the machine again. Yeah, and normally say you follow 10, you might get three or four people who follow you back immediately. But um, that's the one thing that we've been pretty good about because I know that's a big thing on Twitter is you you don't want to have 2,000 people you follow and then 500 followers because then it's like, yeah. well, you probably just got those from they people following you back. So right now we're like, I think we got three or four times the amount of followers as we have following. We're following very, very little people's amount of people so there's definitely we can definitely do that where we can follow a few more people and you know pick up you know pick up some new viewers there so that's definitely um something we want to try out and like i said as of recently i guess we've been doing decent enough on the show have the right people on um i believe people's going to like this conversation with you because it's a little different you're not like you're not as hands-on as investing as some of the people we come on a lot of finance stuff and you know really different um view but um yeah, we've started to get like shout outs from people just randomly and that always helps. So, but, oh, yeah. but yeah, thank you for um, coming on the show. This should be out tomorrow. Um, but yeah, we appreciate your welcome anytime and we look forward to continuing interacting with you on Twitter, bouncing ideas off you and um, doing all that. Um, before you go, where can people find you and um, say they follow you on Twitter and go ahead and plug your blog too and what what all they can find on on your website cool so first thank you guys very much for for inviting me it's i, I i'm really really happy to uh, to sort of get out there and start speaking a bit more as, as opposed to you know on twitter it's you're always just writing um so it's good to to talk sort of face to face to people i guess yep. um well, you meet so, people on a personal level. Like I can send a tweet to you back to back, but it's not a personal level until we sit exactly. down for a conversation. Like I said, there's been a couple of people that we've kind of became friends with. And really it was just, we liked some of their tweets. And it's like, Hey, come on the show. And now, you know, we talk to them every day or whatever. So. Very cool. Yeah. So I, um, as, as far as where people can find me, uh, rickydoofinance.com is, uh, is, is where I blog. I mean, and on Twitter, it's just at RinkyDoFinance. Um, it's just sort of a silly name to kind of make finance approachable to people. That's that's the idea there. And nobody will understand it unless you're Canadian, because I looked. Exactly. Oh, you looked from like a Canadian um, like nursery rhyme show. Or exactly. Something. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's that's so awesome that you looked. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. So Rinky Do Finance. Um, R I N. K Y D O O finance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so definitely check out his blog. He's posting a lot of good stuff on there on personal finance. Um, you know, kind of pitfalls again too with finance. Um, kind of things you don't have to do. And you know, like you said, he's going to add a bunch more stuff. Follow him on Twitter. Um, we only followed him maybe about a week ago, and I, we liked his tweets and stuff so much we had to bring him on the show. So. He's definitely good to follow, so be sure to do that. And um, we really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, man. Thank you very much for, for having me again. Yeah. Nice yep. meeting you. We'll see you later. Nice to meet you guys. All right. See ya.
Yeah, so that was um, Brandon from Rinky Do Finance. Like he said, he has a blog. He's got some real nice articles on there. It's kind of similar to Fat Baby Funds, who, who writes articles, but he, he's got a little more than just, you know, just blog articles. He's got a bunch of different categories, and um, he's really active on Twitter. If you DM him, he'll answer you right away, no problem. He'll give you, you know, it's not advice as far as, like, you can just take it and run and do whatever. You still got to do your own research and stuff, but, you know, if you're are stuck somewhere and you need, you know, an opinion or something like that, he'll give you a sound one. It's not just like some cookie cutter or anything like that. So yeah, really appreciate him coming on the show. Um, John, you got anything else before we close this one out? Nope. Going to eat. We'll see you guys uh, later. Yeah. So I forgot to do this last time because we had such a long break. Um, I guess you forget to do what you're supposed to do, but if you're not following us yet, follow us on Twitter at swinging it, no just, but at swinging it. You can follow um, Pivotal Trader, Trading on Twitter at Pivotal underscore trading. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Every time we have a guest, we go live. Plus, we all kind of post different small videos and stuff like that that's related to trading, finance, or whatever. Um, go ahead and check out the Discord. I know a lot of people make fun of people with Discords, but go ahead and check it out. We got some good um, educational stuff on there. Um, it is free. Um, to join we do have a five dollar membership that gets you a little bit more a little bit extra stuff and um, we're actually about to revamp some of our stuff going into the new year so there'll be even more stuff on there so um, be sure to check it out you'll make the five dollars easy um, as far as just following it so there should be no problem there but yeah even if you don't pay the five dollars check it out join subscribe to the youtube channel and follow us on twitter because we got a got quite a few more interviews i think we got two maybe three um in the chamber that's like lined up so those will be coming down the wire we have one next sunday so stay tuned but um yeah everyone have a good week in the market last time i checked futures were up all across the board so it should be a good green day tomorrow so um keep swinging it and john play the music we out